To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. Joining me, as always, is the man who probably is going to wish he had a dump button by the end of this show. It's Don Moore. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And in case you're wondering why he wants that dump button, it's because this show is definitely going to be explicit. And if you don't want your boss to get you in trouble, don't listen to it at work. (laughs) Our guest today is the one and only Phoebe Xavier. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? What are you up to now? You got some stuff happening again. Yeah, um, I've actually, since I last talked to you guys, I've relocated to Vermont. I'm in Vermont now. And um, I what I'm promoting uh, at the moment is a book called Super Liminal Latency. And, but I still work on comic books. Like one, two, three, guy was still full speed ahead, uh, working on things for that all the time. Uh, but yeah, the, the thing that we're promoting this winter is Super Liminal Latency. It is a 280-page, uh, it's my first debut novel, well, or my debut book, and it's seven stories, and, um, and it's also my introduction of the uh, genre that I've been working on called horror porn. And so it has some really gritty um, stories that you can't unread, kind of stuff that um, I would not want to see um, converted to a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see converted to a movie. Oh, boy. And that would be pretty gross. <laughs> uh, uh, so where does, it, where does this book come from? You, you said this is like, this is the first thing that's all you, 100%? Um, well, this is the first, like, narrative format book that I've done. Um, that'll be, um, like, there's art on the front and back covers, but otherwise it's all narrative. Um, and, uh, yes, it's been 19 years in the making. Uh, two of the oldest stories are from about 2003. Um, and, and the most recent one was written in, like, 2019, I think, uh, somewhere around there. And, yeah, uh... I, I, I've always written short stories when the ideas come to me. I have at least another, like, four or five on my hard drive that are, like, either few of them are finished, but some of them are in various stages of being uh, worked on. So I'm kind of ADHD with how I work on any sort of um, creative endeavor. Is like, work on a little bit here, a little bit of that one over there. And so when they're, when they're ready, that's when they, they can be um, published. This one that my editor who I've been working with, Joseph Surveillan, is um, is a professional writer in his own right, and he's done um, a graphic novel independently. So the reason the book is coming out now um, that I finished this project uh, now is because my editor is finally done with it. That is my uh, co-worker on some one two three go projects, Joseph Surveillan, and he has really like stripped down any of the sloppy parts of it and um, really made it a finely polished. I think they were pretty good to start with, but his, 
his, uh, his influence on the book has made it something that I'm pretty proud to bring to market. Nice, nice. So you've uh, you've worked with him before on One Two Three Go. Um, so you, you are he's already familiar with some of your work and 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 everything. So it was a pretty good process then having a, having him work as your editor. Yeah, I think initially I met him though on uh, through some form and approached him about editing the book, and then before we even got very deep into editing the short story collection, we already started working on um, putting some of the stories and some of them. Okay. Okay. So you <laughs> you mentioned this is not something that uh you you'd want to see uh made in the movies. So so this is, is it pretty graphically detailed or is it just kind of just out there strange? What what are you looking yeah, at? No, it's like okay, so um at least five or six of the stories of this book are the introduction of the genre horror porn that I've been working on and these stories have graphic sex graphic violence and graphic <laughs> and um, I just thought for example the, the last story in the collection is called chase underscore rape underscore kill underscore dot FDV and it's about like a file that told, viewed from the first person read from the first person of a, a woman in the in New York City, about now being chased through the streets of New York, and then you know the other two parts. Um, so yeah, there are certain things that are so graphic that it's not not something that I personally would want to see in a movie. Uh, it's also something I address in the uh, introduction of the book, where I say that you know some of these stories are too gross for me. Like, but it was the idea that I had, and I got it out, and I don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, but because of that, because I know it's um, graphic enough to be disturbing. I left a code in the titles to, for people to be able to avoid the, those stories if they want. Mm -hmm. And all of the horror porn stories um, have no capitalized letters in the title. So when they get to a, a chapter that has no capital letters in the title, it's up to them if they want to subject themselves to that kind of hmm. Right on. It, it, so does these stories come... Uh, are they like a cathartic thing for you to be able to work through things, or is this just weird, wild? Thing? No. Oh yeah, no, it's it's fictional, fairly fictional. Um, and it, um, there's like uh, there's one called "The Internet Isn't Real," and that one is kind of about a troll. And um, I guess I wrote that as a reaction to uh, being trolled or having to deal with trolls online, yeah. and like. The nasty things they say, and like what if they had to actually deal with someone doing those things to them? Um, so it's kind of around a moral tale there in that way, but also again graphically disgusting and what I make the character go through. Right on, right on. So, um, where is this? Where is this available? When is this available? Um, it should be available hopefully by the time this is put online, I'm hoping it'll be um, Amazon Books or whatever it is, the ebooks e e place, um, but also on uh, Indie Planet, where, where our comic books are featured regularly. Mm -hmm. um, they're also going to have it um, printed to order on IndiePlanet.com. Right on, right on. Uh, how, how many stories do you have in this in this particular book? It is 17 stories. <laughs> 17, jeez. Wow. I'm having trouble writing one right now. <laughs> <laughs> What, what was it like writing prose after writing so many comics? Because you said this is your first one. Well, it is, but, it, but it's also been 19 years in the making. 
So I've been writing prose since I was like nine or ten years old. Yeah. Around the scene, when I tried drawing my first comic book, probably. So I think um, I've been I've, I've been doing both uh, uh, formats for a long time. Right. Right on. And I do. It is. It is a whole different um, medium. I do. Uh, there's a lot more. I, I get lost in detail sometimes when I'm writing, and that's one of the things that Joseph, my editor, said. He's like, "You write too much. Like, you maybe, but that's maybe just your process. You put too many words on the page, yeah. and then you figure out what what can be removed later." Um, and I think it's because the way my imagination goes, I start like uh, thinking about what cool things would be going on around the character or around the main drama of the plot, and then I just start to over uh, over detail some scenes, maybe that. Um, yeah, that we, but for me though, like because you have no visual, you have to like layer in right. a lot of detail. Uh, so, but that yeah, apparently that's my process—just like um, a deluge of detail that we figure out what's relevant on our way because of final edit. Well, that's an art, you know, being able to tell, you know, to let the reader know what's happening and paint a, a picture with words, but also everybody tends to do that, either in artwork or or writing is putting everything but the kitchen sink on and even even music it's knowing what to take out and not not lose the flow or you know the information people need so yeah well it sounds to me like what the way you describe this you got a lot of different things in it and that's one thing about your comics that we talked about when you're on a past episode was you jump from one thing to the other, and I've enjoyed them all. So I, I guess you're pretty eclectic all the way through on everything you do. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, so we also have like a, a voodoo story in this book. Um, we have I have a, um, a lot of cyberpunk, and um, one of my well, my absolute favorite story is called the Slipstream Fiasco, <laughs> and it, it it is a niche form of cyberpunk called Slipstream Cyberpunk. Um, so it's kind of, which is basically a surreal um, uh, form of cyberpunk, and um, it takes place mostly in a place called Tyke City, which is outside of the Oort uh, cloud. Uh, you guys know your um, astronomy uh, science at all. The Oort cloud is the outer extent of the sun's gravitational um, effect, so that there are tiny, um, tiny, tiny little pieces of ice or um, silicate or whatever. There's uh, these little meteors are composed of that reach for fair, fair distance way beyond Pluto. And so right outside of the Oort cloud is this place called Tyke City. And um, it's in the same uh, universe as my comic book, Sidereal Appetite. And it's about a space trucker named Denton. And um, it's, all, it's another one from the first person, told from the first person point of view. And he narrates, he starts off, I think, in the first sentence and lets you know that he's dead. He's tell, He's a ghost and he's telling the story um, when he met his beloved and the adventures that they had that led up to his death. And he's a space trucker. And um, as a space trucker, they have a legal form of amphetamines that he is on that keeps him like awake for the ride from Pike City into Neptune back. Um, he, he, uh, it's very funny. I, I, I had a lot of fun writing in his uh, voice because A, it's supposed to be intended to be read in a thick Texan drawl. So... Um, <laughs> There's that. Everybody gets to play with their text and draw. And then, secondly, he's, like, really not very literate and not very smart. So he says a lot of stuff that, like, um, 
like he says, uh, remember the Alum mode at some point instead of remember the Alamo. And it's like <laughs> stuff like that. So like writing for like a slightly kind of simple um, character um, from within their head was a lot of fun. Um, but another aspect of uh, the slipstream niche is the um, when you kind of take scraps of sentences from random places and then turn it into something inside the story. So I know there's at least one paragraph that was written that way. Um, it's a it's a technique that I also um, uh, kind of picked up from or, or rediscovered when I started reading Robert Anton Wilson in the last couple of years. I think he uses that method quite a bit. And um, but yeah, so there's at least one song, one poem, and one paragraph that was just like I was randomly copying and pasting stuff from off of different websites and then reassembling that into a pattern that like I thought was poetic or whatever um, it informed some message which the story needed to have. Nice. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. really neat. Yeah. You yeah, are. I mean, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, I mean, you're talking about like uh, the author of Prometheus Rising and stuff? I don't know um, of that book necessarily, but yeah, like the um, the Illuminati trilogy, the Illuminati trilogy. Um, oh, and yeah. It's yeah. also associated with um, the Discordian Society. They're like uh, like a radical religion of sorts, like um, that is based on like their, their imaginary chaos magic or whatever. Um, but he was, yeah, he was pretty big uh, from the 70s. No, he wrote for Playboy for, for decades as well. Um, but yeah. Um, and I, I just started reading his books in the last couple of years. He had been recommended to me like a decade and a half ago, but I finally started reading his stuff. And yeah, he, he also inspired, um, or, or reading some of his historical uh, fiction inspired a bit of the, uh, the other novel that I'm working on now. Now that I finished this short story collection, I am going to shift a bit of my focus to a book called The Blackbird Dossier, which is a, a uh, it takes place across multiple timelines. And oh, are you guys watching the Peripheral now? The Peripheral. Well, say that again. The Peripheral. The Peripheral. It's on like uh, I think Prime, Amazon Prime, or whatever. They're streaming TV. No, I'm not aware of it. I, I don't know about this one. I totally recommend you Google that show if you have access to that streaming service. The Peripheral is a really sick show. Um, so my my Blackbird dossier book uh, uses a similar. Um, science technology that they use, which is like sort of that you can communicate to a different timeline as long as, um, or, or yeah, that once, uh, I guess, and this is something, okay, uh, William Gibson wrote the, uh, the book that the peripheral is based on, but the science behind it is theoretically what we believe to be true, that you theoretically can send information back into the past, but then if you get someone to receive it in the past, that that would cause a divergent timeline from where your future information entered their past. Um, so building upon that theoretical science, uh, scientific uh, theory that is, is something scientists consider possible at the moment, um, my story is about a corporation which sells past lifetimes to people. They're going to send a person's whole brain, like their whole mind, consciousness, back into some body from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, wherever they're choosing to go. Um, but the major thrust of the, the timelines that I cover in my book are they sell them, like, like okay, it'll be like a famous rapper. Like, they'll take, like, let's say, all of Eminem's lyrics and all of Tupac's lyrics, and they'll program it in this rich billionaire guy's mind, and then send him back to the 1980s, way before those two stars emerged, 
and that he'll be have the access to their rhyming lexicon and their lyrical ability and their delivery so that he could become a hip hop star with Eminem's lyrics 15 years before Eminem ever did. And like, <laughs> so it's these vacation lives that they get to go on or whatever. Um, but it's a one way ticket and there are a number of converging problems for this organization that develop over the course of the book. Yeah, I, I mean, just from like an ethical standpoint, uh, there's a lot of issues. But then what happens if somebody pays more money to go further back than you? <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, but yeah. So the uh, but in any case, it's completely unethical. Another like booting out the consciousness of the body that they, they go into um, possess. So yeah, it's 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 straight up like jacking. They call yeah. Someone refers to them as soul jackers. Like Jackers, like it, yeah, it's a Yeah, yeah. Wait, wasn't there? There was like an old '80s, late or '90s um, uh, movie uh, similar where the, the guy. The Mick where, Jagger. What was it? With Mick Jagger and Emilio Estevez. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I remember that movie. That a was very similar concept. Yes. Yeah, yeah, where he died in the race car and stuff. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, that's that's cool. I love that concept. That is such a cool concept. I got exactly. Yeah, yeah, they pull him out of the car right before it hits the wall or something, so that they yeah. could possess the body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to come in brain dead, and he didn't. And then the guy's conscious mm-hmm. was supposed to be downloaded. Yep, yep. I remember that. That was such a cool concept. I love that idea. That might even be called Free Jack. I want to say that's called Free Jack. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Free Jack. Uh, oh, awesome. awesome. Yeah. One of the what one of um, Mick Jagger's only successful like science fiction roles. And yeah. that's the I mean, he's been unsuccessful, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Heck yeah. So so now that's a story that's not in this book, that's something you're working on currently? Yeah, that is a separate uh, book that I that I gotta be able to divert my attention to after I finish this promotional run. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And that one's going to be prose as well, or are we looking at a comic there? Yes. Yes. That's going to be okay. prose as well. And, um, the, the most of what, uh, my, the, what I deal with as main characters are, um, a alternate universe version of the Wu-Tang clan, but instead of the Wu-Tang clan, they're the Gojira clan, like, and they're more like, um, Kaiju based than like Kung Fu movie based. Okay. No. Yeah. So, but I, I made up alternate names and like, um, like uh, rhyme styles in some instances for like all of the nine members of the Blue Tang Clan and uh, some of their additional uh, guest MCs that appear appear in their albums. That 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 how, okay? I gotta ask you, how do you keep that straight? Because there's so many freaking members of of Wu Tang Clan and then additional MCs that have come up over the years. There is. So there's- there's the original nine, and I'm familiar with the original nine uh, MCs, and I mean, I've met a few of them before, and um, the very memorable, incredible uh, creators. And then the only real alternate um, or guest appearance person that I worry about or include uh, is Capadonna. And Capadonna is like the honorary 10th Wu-Tang member, and at times what like, like was considered part of Wu-Tang. I don't know if you toured with them this summer or not, um, but yeah, uh, but that's the only one that I really made a... Uh, so it's the original nine and Capadonna, who I made all kind of versions of. 
Okay, so it's not like you went into like the whole Shaolin uh, uh, tribe and everything. You kept, oh, kept yes. the nine and yeah. kept on. Okay. No, I don't include. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't include Ghostface Killers uh, Theodore unit or any of the Killer Bees um, or anything like that. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. I haven't yet. We're still writing it. <laughs> Don's over here just look, like what I could tell his faces without even having to look at him like what? <laughs> no, I I know the Wu Tang Clan. Um, my a lot of my students know. Them. Yeah, I I've heard Raza too. So, oh man. So, Phoebe, what makes you decide to do prose versus comics on your story? Is it uh, a very conscious decision, or does the story flow from you and, and just kind of tell you what it needs to be? Um, it depends. Like you, re I know you guys read um, 13th Moon Volume 1, and yes. so my story in there, Escape Pod. Escape yep. Pod start, started just as like a two-sentence description of like I knew like the circumstance and how it should end. So I summarized that story in two sentences, and it originally was slated to be in, like, Sidereal Apogee 10 or 11. Like, I kind of do plan ahead sometimes, like, issues and issues ahead of shit that might take me eight years to do. So I have Sidereal Apogee mapped for, like, the next 10 issues, and that was, like, supposed to be a story in, like, Sidereal Apogee 10 or 11. And But then when it came time to do a certain, um, uh, I think I was applying to be part of... Um, Oh, I forget. Um, it was a different anthology, though. It wasn't my anthology. It was me trying to apply to be in someone else's anthology that I hired Renan to draw that for me and did the lettering for it, and they didn't accept it. And then I was like, okay, well, then I'm putting it in um, 13 Moon Volume 1. But, but up to that point where I decided that that story was my best chance to submit to that, um, that particular anthology, it was uh, slated to be a short story. So it... it uh, I guess supply and demand in that sense, like where, what, what my, what good stories do I have, and what project do I uh, need to grow up towards? Uh, similarly, I had this idea of, um, you guys know the, it's both the movie and um, a story, the painted man, uh, Bradbury, the okay. illustrated man. Yeah, the illustrated man. That one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So I kind. I kind of had, uh, had this idea in my head to update it into a sci-fi world where it was like um, a more future tech version of tattoos yeah. and like holographic tattoos that like come off of the skin and, and, and such. And so I had that one written down. I, I, I mine is called the CG Rendered Man. And um, <laughs> that I had the idea. And then uh, my friend Chris McCulley, who works with 123 Go as well, that he said uh, he was taking, he was able to facilitate submissions to a sci-fi horror magazine. And so I was like, oh, I got a good sci-fi horror thing. It's that a CG rendered man thing. So then I sat down and actually wrote it. And uh, I don't think we got picked up by the magazine, but that's another one that I'll go in a future collection, a short story that I wrote. Um, maybe eight pages? Yeah, something like that. Wow. How, how does, uh, you got my mind going, how does the CGI work um, so it's like basically uh, a lot of the shit in my um, 25th century sidereal apogee world sci-fi world I just like sort of um, explain it magically through nanotech like yeah. oh nanotech can do anything oh, okay. <laughs> so um, 
in that particular story, uh, yeah, the tattoo has some something that combines with nano in the ink that um, the image on it isn't necessarily, or the image on it can either shift or the image on it can project off of the skin. And um, there's a there's like a demonstration in the first page or two of the story where the tattoo artist who owns the technology shows him that like her tattoo can like whatever her eyes is looking at is what the tattoo on her back will project. Wow! But, like when she yeah, so she like takes her shirt off to show her show him her back, but then like the image transforms into the, the things that she's looking at, and like so the and um, I guess uh, the way I tell the story the this map magical ink that she has, this magical nanotech ink or whatever, kind of works differently with each person she applies it on. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, I just like had to find a way to make, make it get to the ending that I wanted, and that's what <laughs> I want people, that's what I want people to hang out for, for the shocking end. I, I find it fascinating when you're talking about you know, some of the stories you've, you've had a long time ago, you do everything piecemeal, a lot of times, um, when I hear musicians, they talk about the same thing. They'll have a, a, a few notes, a little tune, a melody, and they just kind of tuck it away, and then years later they're working on a song, and, oh, I'll put it here. I, I yes. find it fascinating how you, you're doing the same thing, and I'm taking it that's probably how, you know, you're, you're a musician as well. So I, I take it you work the same way in, in the audio work you do. A little bit, yeah. Um, uh, I'm actually working on setting up a gig over um, the holidays that I'm probably going to do a DJ gig. Um, that's the most musical creativity that I could involve myself in uh, recently. But yeah, um, definitely. I have a small list of um, samples that I've heard. That, to me, what a sample is just a part of a song that I know that I can cut and loop into something like a uh, sound dope. And um, so I do have a short list laying around my apartment right now of uh, things I would like to sample next time I have a sound program, but yeah. I don't have one on my computer right now. Hmm. Now, you say you're in Vermont. Um, is your goal to live in all 50 states in the United States? Uh, um, <laughs> I have, I, and I've thought about this and recently said to somebody, um, I've lived in probably at least 30 for more than three weeks, which I think qualifies as, like, temporary residence. <laughs> so I think that yeah, I, I that my goal, but the state that you like best, right? <laughs> uh, um, I love Vermont. Vermont. This will be my first winter in Vermont, but Vermont is a really, really nice place and um, pretty friendly people with some pretty um, cool approaches to marijuana, which is smoke it if you got it. <laughs> there you go. That's what I do. <laughs> So I'm with, planning uh, on going to uh, Iceland in the spring, so I'll get out of America for my, my next um, exploration, exploratory travels. Oh, nice! What uh, anything particular you're up to over in Iceland, or just going? I think, just well, I, I think I'm going to eat fermented shark. That's on the list. I'm definitely going to eat fermented shark. Um, but I've been looking into it, and I think there are cool day tours that kind of loop you across the southern part of the island um, from Reykjavik and. Uh, Probably just stay a few days and do something like that. Okay. Huh. Mm. Uh, question for you. Have you ever eaten shark before? No, and I don't like seafood, and I think like I might even puke if I eat uh, fermented shark, but just to be able to say that I've done it. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, as someone who grew up shark fishing in the yep. Gulf, um, yeah, shark shark has to be done right. Um, I've eaten a lot of bad shark over the years. I've never eaten fermented shark, though. I will say. So you're braver than I am. Well, I, I, I like booze, so yeah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, fermented shark, no, no, you're a better person than me. <laughs> I don't think that makes anything good, just uh, daring. <laughs> daring? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely somebody of experiences. You, you do things oh. for experience, and it, it shows off in your work. Like I said, very <laughs> eclectic and... You have a knowledge base of a lot of different subjects, you know. Thank you. I do a lot of research for these things, though, too. Like yeah. um, in that story I was just talking about, the CG rendered man. Yes. Um, I because uh, part of it involves Jupiter. I studied for like two or three days about Jupiter. Like I actually like got into my brain, like what is under like the surface cloud of Jupiter? I want to know, and like studied it for three days just to write like basically two paragraphs. Um, but so. I think that, yeah, an obsessive focus on uh, wanting to be able to bring uh, accurate details or believable details leads me to learn the things. I didn't necessarily have all that scientific knowledge up front. Sometimes I'm finding things out because hmm. I'm fascinated by it to include it in my story in some way. Yeah, it reflects in the stories because when you, I'm reading stuff, I'm thinking, well, I know a lot of it comes out of your head, but it, it had a grounded reality to it. It wasn't like... Saying it, understand, I'm a person that likes science fiction. I like, you know, heroic movies, science, um, science, uh, what was it? sword and sorcery. I like comic books. I like that kind of stuff. But sometimes you see some, a lot of new people, when they write stuff, it's like, it's a lot of great ideas and imagination, but they're not grounded. They're just all over the place. Yours, it does have a root to it. It has a grounding. So yeah, I could see the research because I, when I read these stories that you've done, the ones I've read, you pull me into the world and I believe it. So, you know, I'm I'm actually really interested in that CGI man. <laughs> I will send you that one with when I send you the um, PDF of the book. All right, thank you. I, I I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to that because as someone whose significant other is involved in the <clears throat> tattoo industry, um what, three, four, maybe even five years ago, there was a trend of motion tattoos with, like, a particular app that, oh, like, okay. you would show your tattoo to the app and it would start, like, moving it around on your phone and really? stuff. Yeah, it was short-lived. It wasn't very popular. Um, mostly because I think most tattoo artists were like, yeah, I'm not spending extra time <laughs> doing that. Okay, so it would be adding certain sort of um, ink to the skin that then is the specific to a phone app. Yeah, so um, it was it, it was some of them were cool. Some of them were just like um, like a wave file in motion. Um, I saw one that was like a dancing skeleton where the uh, the tattoo on the skin was just of a skeleton standing there, and then when you move the camera over top of the tattoo while the app is on. The skeleton would start dancing around on your cam on your phone. Okay, that seems yeah, kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of a lot of extra work just for like a, a kind of a low lo-fi kind of a hmm. effect. Like, yeah, yeah, it definitely wasn't anything you saw on like 
big grand back piece tattoos. Uh, I only saw it on smaller piece tattoos. Um, but like I said, most of the tattoo artists I know that, that I showed it to, they were like, yeah, that's cool. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can see I that. So. That tracks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so with this, with this book that you're doing now, um, is there is there a plan for any of these pieces to grow into further storylines, or is this going to be a self-contained series of stories, really? How much one do you mean? You mean the one that I'm going to try to be? Well, I already have like five chapters into this, uh, the Blackbird dossier, the the kind of time travel soul jacking thing, or do you mean the stories from Superliminal Latency? Uh, the the one that you came on to promote right now. Uh, now Superliminal Latency, yeah. Okay, um, so. Those, okay, so a bunch of these stories take place in the same universe as Sidereal Apogee. Some of them have characters that, you, that if you've read Sidereal Apogee, you would know them from those stories. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, a couple of the other ones, most of the horror ones, you see they are more self-contained. Um, and probably not, will not go beyond the, that book too much. But I do, uh, do introduce in superliminal latency, I have a story called Own Worst Voodoo Doll and in Own Worst Voodoo Doll um, uh, Marie Laveau appears and um, I worked on Joseph uh, for on a story for uh, 13 Moon Volume 2 uh, with Marie Laveau and I have at least two other stories in like partial uh, uh, forms that uh, I want to tell about Marie Laveau. Okay. <laughs> The Voodoo Queen from New Orleans in the 18, uh, 1800s. Um, yeah. yeah, that's quite the name to invoke in uh, in stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, and then in, in Old Worst Voodoo Doll, I actually don't mention her name, but I describe her like as as she's depicted in some paintings, and um, you know, she 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 does some major voodoo in the story. But um, yeah, I actually um, the story the future stories that I have about her. Um, take her all the way up through at least like the 1940s that um, to suggest that she would have had a further existence either alive, undead, or as a ghost um, even after the Okay, all right, yeah. I, I see me. Me, I, I don't, I don't, I don't mess with that stuff, but I don't mind watching it and reading it. <laughs> yeah, very. Yeah, I'm not saying anybody should practice any sort of arcane mystical. Yeah, it's strange. it's strange how you can stay away from something, but it's fun to read about <laughs> or watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, especially, well, Marie Laveau has so many uh, fascinating stories about her that, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, fact or bullcrap? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, okay, so that's the thing about it. And, and I've studied voodoo in um, an academic uh, a sense uh, at times in my life. And the... the Way that um, some some magicians uh, do their magic is by just having a good social network that uh, can create the illusions of what to someone that was superstitious would look magical. Yeah. Um, and that it's really about, about like uh, yeah, that there are ways to create the effects that, that are way more mundane. But like if you dress it up in this ritual and with with the, whatever the reputation of being like the mambo queen or whatever um 
that yeah you're 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 able to create a reality for people that is that like mystifying or horrifying grass um Almost kind of like a shared hallucination, but driven by the the person who's who's direct, directing it, like like a magician uh, or such. Indeed, yes, yeah. a, a master illusionist. Yep, awesome, awesome. Uh, what else have you been up to? I mean, you've obviously been traveling. You're writing. You're promoting your book. I mean, you just you're. You seem like you're always busy. There's got to be more happening with you. I know it. Um, I have... Okay, so I moved up here to Vermont in May. And um, I have a job here working at a restaurant that we do bagels and sandwiches. And that is a lot of fun. Um, I am a prep cook and a counter worker and a supervisor there. Uh and that takes a lot of my time. Um, like, yeah, I'm tired as hell a lot of days when I'm home. So, uh, being a couch potato is one of my, my main things. Um, there's a lot of TV that I watch. And um, then, yeah, writing and trying to get this comic, uh, certain comic books done. Um and oh, I'm drinking every night and smoking pot every day. I don't know. Uh, I want to see that. I want to see that movie Smile a month ago. That scared the absolute shit out of me. Oh, have you watched? Uh, have you watched a movie called Barbarian yet? Yes, I did. That was another one that I paused like 16 minutes in and was like, "Do I want to watch this?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way. I, I'm like, why am I watching this goofy movie? Oh, oh crap! What the hell is happening? <laughs> Yeah, and then every time that I got to, like, a real serious reveal, they, like, switched and just start telling another story. And you're like, wait, this is the same world, sure, but what does this dude have to do with that house, blah, blah, blah. Yep, yep, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I really like Barbara. Um, oh, Enola Holmes just had a sequel. I don't know if you watched the first one, but I really enjoyed that. Yep, watched, uh, we watched the sequel as well. That was that was um, a lot more Henry Cardell this time. Yeah, that's the Sherlock guy. Yeah, that, he's playing Sherlock. Yeah, I I mean, I, I hope they do a third one, and I hope it has a lot less Sherlock, like, because, like, it's not Anola Holmes if it's, like, she, she's almost a sidekick by the end. Yeah, I kind of felt that way. It really did, because it focused on, um, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched this. <laughs> skip a few seconds. Um <laughs> It focused on the on the the the, ma- the criminal mastermind ended up being Moriarty. Yes, and that that just really f- drove me more to feel like she's become the sidekick in her own story, which I felt right. I, I really felt disingenuous to the character. I think she's a, a great actress, and it's, just, it's a cool idea, a strong idea to have like this uh, the, the Sherlock uh, sister or whatever. And, um, but yeah, they should at least do one more movie where it's more like her just being brilliant and not, like, in- intertwined into his own, uh... Yeah, and, and the Moriarty, um, the way they recast Moriarty, like, was fine by me, but I'm sure there will be people that don't like the way that was done. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I figured there's probably someone crying into their cereal in their parents' basement somewhere about that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure... Um, but yeah, I like I like that characterization. But yeah, I don't 
I can see a third one with a concentration on, on the Anola character and her sound. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, Did you see the Weird Al movie? Did you see this yet? No, is it out? I didn't know it was out yet. It's yes. on Roku. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I can't watch it yet. I don't have it. No. Oh, I think you can watch it in other ways. I think they're, they will, they're about getting that movie out online for free. Um, I think you might be able to leave with that. That movie was brilliant. It was hilarious. I was laughing through, laughing out loud, like, gripping my sides through, like, 50% of it. <laughs> He's a fascinating well, I, person. Um, he, is, he is. The first time I had ever heard of him was um, I was overseas, and they gave him an MTV award. He was making a joke about he's recognized at Burger Kings everywhere. And it was that song <laughs> "Eat It," you know. And I thought, what's the guy does parent? Anyway, they played it on the ship one night. I said, that's really funny. And um, then I found out he was on Dr. Demento, you know, the syndicated radio show in the 70s. And um, I I just never thought he was going to keep going. Um, somebody brought in a CD in the 2000s, and to the tune of American Pie, he told the entire story of Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> and I thought, this guy is really good. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see the movie. I I never thought he would be what he is, but yeah, it's something. He is, um, yeah, no, he's in that movie for a little bit. Casting Dan Radcliffe as himself is pretty brilliant, too. Um, and I will not spoil it in any way. That is just a brilliant movie. Everyone should see it. Um, I just can't imagine Daniel Radcliffe without an English accent. He he, oh, no. he, 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 he plays that weird out without one. No, yeah, he's not all over that, I believe. <laughs> yeah, he did um, Guns of Kimbo. Uh, and he didn't have yeah. an accent in that, if I recall. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Wow. But, but he had it yeah. in America. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the thing I think I love the best is Weird Al is actually encouraging people to pirate his movie. Just don't tell anyone. That's what I'm saying. They're very all about everyone should be able to see it for free. Heck yeah. Huh. I agree with that. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, everybody, I think it's almost that time. All right. Uh, anybody that likes to draw, we're always using fake comic book covers on the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. Uh, if you'd like to do one, we can't pay you for it, but it'd be yours to own. And if you allow us to, we'll add it to the cover gallery of the blog. A lot of people like these. If you're any kind of singer, musician, performance artist, we usually have a, a musical spotlight unless we have a guest like tonight. Anyway, you can go to the contact page, uh, send us a recording, and we'll be glad to play it. Also on the sidebar of the blog, we sell t-shirts. It's not to make us rich, it's just to help us pay the hosting fees. Listen to the show, wear the shirt. Rook? Everybody, you can check out everything we talked about on this show links to Phoebe's book, you go buy it now, bunchofdorks.com, click on the Cyclops. But until next time, everybody, read more comics. Comics. Woo! <laughs> you can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. 
If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.